The philosopher George Bernard Shaw <laughs> very famously used to say that youth is wasted on the young. Not sure if any of you ever heard that. Youth is wasted on the young. Anybody ever seen um, It's a Wonderful Life? Remember that scene? There's a scene in It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey is about to kiss um, Mary Hatch. They're walking home, you know, and just at the moment he's about to kiss Mary, he kind of freezes up. And the neighbor sitting on the, the porch said, kiss her. And he froze and he said, ah, oh, youth is wasted on the young, right? What does that mean? It means kind of unpacking that a little bit that often when we're young, maybe we don't really appreciate being young or the, the joy of being young, right? Um, what can we learn from younger people? I think in my opinion that I love spending time with younger people because they're very, they have a fresh approach, right? John Paul II said, if you want to stay young, work with the young. And they have a fresh approach, often creative, and they're spontaneous. And as we get older, let's be honest, I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of it. We can kind of get stuck in a rut this is my routine, this is what my way of thinking, and one of the bigger dangers as we age is we can kind of surround ourselves only with like-minded people, right? The problem with that is it's very, very insular. We don't really grow, but young people, they don't tend to fall into that. They're more open to different things, right? And that's an important point for all of us, right? We have so much, I think, that we can learn from them. I remember um, some of you are, are old enough here. Do you remember when you used to go play in the street, go out and, you know, I mean, many of us, we were growing up, the parents, some parents don't want their kids to play in the street. Our parents are like, go and play in the street. You'll be fine, right? If you, something happens, we'll call Corey Beach Rots, right? Six eight three seven oh oh oh. But, you know, you remember when we'd be out playing at night, what was the sign for us to come home? The street lights, right? I was out playing with my buddy one, one afternoon, and he had, poor kid, he had to go to the bathroom. So we came home, but the street lights hadn't come on yet. And his mom had locked the door. He couldn't get in. He'd ring, he rang the doorbell for 10 minutes. She wouldn't let him in. We had to sit on the porch. Poor guy. She finally let him in, and, you know, of course, he goes rushing, rushing in there, and I said, man, your mom don't play. My gosh, poor kid. But you know, that it, was, it was just a different time, wasn't it? Just a different time. For each one of us, you know, we, it's good for us to remember when we're younger, we learn. And when we get older, we learn why we learned what we learned. So we learn things, and now it has a little more meaning. Hopefully we have a little more wisdom, yeah? Can I just share with you a little data? if you permit me, a little data. From the CDC, Dr. Jane Twenge, who's one of my favorite authors, a sociologist, and the American Psychological Association. Listen to this. Do you know that this generation of young people, i.e. the millennials and Gen Z, they're wealthier, healthier, 
and better educated than any generation that has ever lived in this country. Let me just say that again. They're wealthier, healthier, and better educated than any generation that has ever gone before them. Here's the irony. They're also far more depressed. I'm not making this up. Look it up. They have more issues with mental, with uh, depression, cutting, anorexia, bulimia. How, how do we recognize, reconcile this? If they're wealthier, they're healthier, and they're more well-educated, logic would stand they'd be happier. Why is this? I mean, the data on this is knee-deep. We need to have the courage to ask that question if we're going to help these kids. You want my opinion? For what it worth, throw it out if you want. I think we can sum up the challenge in one word. Pressure. The pressure that is put a lot on a lot of these kids is like nothing any generation has ever had. Nothing. It's an airbrushed reality that they often see from this. That they have to look a certain way, they have to act a certain way, they have to be a certain way. Many of us didn't grow up like that, right? How do we help them? How do we learn from them? But how do we help them? My opinion is one of the things that we have to do is challenge them in the right way, right? In the right way. You know, uh, Pope John Paul II, in 2002, he was, uh, he was having this uh, just a hard time with advanced Parkinson's. And if you've ever known somebody with Parkinson's, they often get what they call the mask in the sense like it's, it's hard to see through that. And he, he, had, he was drooling and had a hard time. And the media said, there's no way this man is going to be able to make it to World Youth Day in Toronto. He was supposed to go to World Youth Day. And they said, no way, come on, please, look at him. There's no way this man's going to be able to go. He said, no, I'm going to go. And they said, yeah, right. 2002, he shows up in Toronto. He makes his way down the stairs in the Alitalia airplane. He stands there on the tarmac in Toronto with his cane, and he spends 30 seconds pounding his cane on the tarmac as if to say, look, I told you I'd be here. I'm here, so shut it. Love that. Do you know that over two million kids came to see him? Two million teenagers from around the world came that week to see a man slumped over in his chair, drooling. Why? <laughs> it's kind of a good question, right? Why? What did these kids see in, in an old man who's slumped over in a chair, drooling? Why would they come from all over the world to see this? You know why? Because he set the standard this high, and he didn't pander to them. And this is what he said, and I'm quoting. He said, to be a Christian today does not require virtue. To be a Christian today requires heroic virtue. You will fail. 
pick yourself up and go on. He didn't pander to these kids. Right? You know, think about it. A lot of the young people today, they have everything they want at their fingertips. It's all here. You can do anything you want. You can choose anything you want. By the way, you can pick any gender you want. Whatever you want, it's all here. You know the problem with that? You know what happens when, you, when people have anything they want, all these choices? You know what happens? Boredom. Have you noticed that? You ever wanted something? Gosh, I really have to have this new blouse. I have to have an iPad. I have to have this new car. And you get it. And what happens after two weeks? Eh. Oh, and then we're on to somebody else. I, got, I really have to get this. I have to get that. I have, we have to have the, all the channels. It's great. It's awesome. It's going to be great. And we finally get it. And then after two weeks, we're like, eh. Have you noticed that cycle? So what happens is people get bored. And so at a certain point of this cycle going on for a while, you know what people begin to ask? Now what? Because I thought that was going to make me happy. And you know, it really didn't make me happy. It made me satisfied for a while. But what's really going to give me a sustained happiness? That's the question. Do you know? I mean, for yourself. Like, what's going to be there underneath this cyclical thing of satisfying all of these wants? Not that they're bad, (laughs) but it's not going to make me happy. What's actually going to make me happy over the long haul? You know what's going to make us happy? Your relationship with God. Or to quote St. Augustine in his Confessions, Our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in Thee. God has given us a Swiss cheese heart, folks. Our heart is Swiss cheese. It's full of holes. And there's only one thing that can fill it. God. It's deliberate, man. But many of us go through our whole life trying to fill in the Swiss cheese heart. I'll try this. That didn't do it. I'll try that. That didn't do it. So we keep looking. Remember that country music song? Looking for love. I won't sing it. (laughs) Right? I mean, we've done this. Many of us, yeah? You know, every every year I, I lead a group going skydiving. I love going skydiving. And so uh, I was, my first year here, I led this group going and we, you know, we're in this little Cessna airplane and we're going up, we jump at 15,000 feet. So we're, we're going in this little airplane and you know, you're right next to these people. So there's this young woman, she's 16 and she's right here, right? We're going up and she leans over. She's like, Father Ben, I have to ask you a question. And it's like, now? She's like, now I have to ask you. I'm like, oh, whatever. This should be good. And she's like, what happens if the parachute doesn't open? I said, what? She's like, what happens if we jump and the parachute doesn't open? I was like, oh, you'll die. And she, I said, but don't worry, it doesn't happen that often. She's like, okay, I feel better now. So she's a little nervous. She jumped, you're going 120 miles an hour, 
15,000 feet, if you're doing the math, that's every three seconds, 15 stories you're falling. Okay? Jumped, a little nervous, she landed. I land right next to her, she was like, we're gonna do that again. <laughs> it's awesome. But you know, if you pardon the pun, it's a bad pun, you pardon the metaphor, young people are often willing to jump into anything. Right? We, we need some of that freshness, right? You know, First Timothy chapter 4, St. Paul is writing to this young bishop, his name is Timothy, and he, sees, he said, don't ever let people look down on you because you're young, because of your youth. Don't ever, right? He's like, you trust in God and you keep your, your eyes focused on Christ and you're going to be just fine, young man. And I think all of us would agree we have so much to be inspired from with young people. I just want to close with this. Some of you may have seen this. Uh, this is what's called a, a purificator. The priest uses at Mass with a chalice. But this is also known by a big Latin name. Don't get freaked out by the Latin. It's called a manaturgium. Manaturgium. That's not a skin condition, okay? So when a, did you know that when a priest is ordained... The bishop slathers his palms with holy oil, okay? Why? Because that's what I'm going to use to celebrate Mass, right? So after I get holy oil, priests get holy oil on their palms, they come with this, they give you this thing called the manaturgium. So we wipe this off, right? That's at our ordination. The very next day, when a priest has his first Mass, he takes this, now that has holy oil on it from his own hands, it's put in a box, and it's given to his mother at his first Mass. When a priest's mother dies, it is buried beneath her head in the coffin. Why? Because according to church tradition, when his mother dies and she kneels before the Lord, she will say, you gave me this child, I gave him to the church, and now we give him back to you. Sometimes when a priest knows a family well, and they have a little girl that they're baptizing, we have the baptismal font right here, I will give one of these to the father of the little girl, and as I baptize the child, he will use this and wipe off the holy water, the baptismal water from the little girl. Fast forward many years later, when he's walking his daughter down the aisle to be married, they have wrapped in their hands the manaturgium that he used so many years earlier at her own baptism. He then takes it off and gives it to his new son-in-law as if to say, please watch after my little girl. I've done my best, and I give, it, give her to you. This is why I'm sharing this with you. I'm guessing that my parents didn't know when I was born that I would be a priest. And I'm guessing for each one of us, when you found out that you were going to have a child, you didn't know what they were going to do. 
But I can guarantee you this, you had hope that God would guide them and lead them and they would have a beautiful, fruitful life and you want to guard them and protect them from all the struggles and the pains and all that comes with this life. But you can't. You can't. Because that's part of the gig that we call life, right? Is that not inspirational? When you see your kids weathering their own challenges and coming out the other side, right? It's a lesson for us, I think. 